It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. A whole lot of news being made in the last 12 hours or so. Uh, Two presidents being interviewed on television. One, the previous guy, the former guy. The other one, the current president of the United States. I want to start right there because it was George Stephanopoulos to sit down with Joe Biden on Good Morning America this morning that made a whole hell of a lot of news. Um, In fact, it's unusual for any one interview to produce this much news on this many fronts. That says to me it was a successful interview. Now, I kind of wondered, you know, uh, why was uh, the president doing this first morning show interview with Stephanopoulos? Maybe he felt more comfortable with George Stephanopoulos, who he obviously must have dealt with when Stephanopoulos was in the Clinton White House and he was a senator. Obviously, they know each other as well from all of the years that Biden worked in the Senate and... uh, you know, Biden knows all the reporters in New York and Washington, uh, as well as when he was vice president. But Stephanopoulos, to his credit, conducted a fast-paced interview that touched on some uncomfortable subjects for Joe Biden. This wasn't one of those cable kissy-face things. And that's one of the reasons is you got, if you have tough, hard, straight, direct questions, and there were places where he could have followed up, and I'll point those out, and you have an a, a interview subject, in this case POTUS, prepared to make news, that's the key thing, um, then it produces everybody's happy. You know, hard questions, which satisfies the, the, the obligation of the media to press presidents. And we haven't had enough of those opportunities because Biden's team has been keeping away from the press or Biden has instructed his team to keep him away from the press. It is next Thursday. So that would be eight days from now when he's actually going to hold his first news conference on the 64th day of his presidency. So, for example, I wouldn't necessarily have expected um, Stephanopoulos to press Biden about Andrew Cuomo, but he did, asking him about the sexual harassment allegations, the mounting uh, allegations and disclosures uh, against the New York governor. And I was even more surprised at President Biden's answer. Uh, When he said, first of all, he said, Uh, If these allegations are true, yes, then Cuomo should resign. That's much further than the president has gone before. But then he followed up, and and Stephanopoulos, to his credit, followed up and got Biden to say uh, it may very well be there could be a criminal prosecution. I mean, you have the leader of the Democratic Party, the president of the United States, talking about the party's most prominent governor and speculating about the fact that he could end up in jail. I mean, that is extraordinary. That is like a giant bat signal uh, streaming across the sky in Gotham City. It carries more weight than the calls for resignation from Chuck Schumer, uh, from AOC, from Bill de Blasio, from the congressional delegation, and then this morning from Nancy Pelosi. I mean, it just gives you a sense of how politicians, you know, put their fingers in the wind. Because a few days ago, the Speaker of the House, uh, it was just on Sunday, she was on one of the Sunday shows, and she said, Well, you know, Governor Cuomo should look into his heart and see whether he can continue to effectively uh, lead New York State. Okay, what that says to me, I mentioned this on the podcast the other day, is, yeah, of course I want him to quit, but I'm not going to say so. I'm not going to put him in a box. Let's hope that he comes to that conclusion. This morning on Morning Joe, Nancy Pelosi basically said, yeah, he should quit. Because, you know, the train is leaving the station now. I'm not saying that any of this, including Biden's comments, means that Cuomo will quit, but it weakens his position even further, and especially with another story coming out, which I'll get to later in the podcast. All right, back to Biden on Good Morning America. 
So he was very strong. You know, Biden was holding some note cards, and I don't have any problem with that. You know, reporters come with note cards. I use note cards. And, and, and by the way, this is not a, a test to see how many answers you could memorize. It, I, he didn't, in the parts that were shown, obviously it's an edited interview, um, he didn't refer to any of the cards that we could see. But nevertheless, um, when Biden says what he said about Cuomo, clearly his team had prepped him. You're going to be asked about Andrew Cuomo, what do you want to say? And he decided he wanted to be more forceful and make some news, knowing full well as a veteran politician that in doing so, he would be helping to nudge Cuomo out the door. Again, nobody can force the governor to resign, but there might come a point where his uh, position becomes untenable. Technically, Biden is saying, you know, let's let the investigation run its course. Also, there was a lot on the border, uh, as well there should have been, because the border is an absolute disaster. I have a column on foxnews.com today talking about, you know, how Joe Biden's trying to be compassionate. He's trying to be the non-Donald Trump in this situation. He is um, set up a situation where no longer will children be separated from their families, and that, that's good. But at the same time, Stephanopoulos asked the absolute key question here. Was it a mistake not to anticipate the surge? And the answer is, of course it was. Of course it was. They didn't think through what would happen if you started uh, changing certain policies. Now, you know, this was in 2018 and parts of 2019 a disaster for Donald Trump as well. But now it's Joe Biden's disaster. You know, it's funny. At one point, uh, Biden kind of had a big smile and he said, you know, I've only been here six weeks. Come on. And it's a fair point. You know, no, you know, Superman or Batman, you know, can't come into the old office and change the entire country and solve every problem in six weeks. Of course. Um, but it is also amazing how quickly a crisis can be created in just six weeks. And that's what's happened at the Texas border. Uh, so George got a little hung up on the wording. Well, uh, they think you that, that it's okay to come here. And Biden said, well, you know, uh, they think I'm a nice guy, but I'm, I'm saying don't come. And George says, can you say to the migrants, don't come? And Biden said, sure, don't come. You should not come. But more important than Biden's words, because the administration has been saying that for days, are his actions. And the key action there is not turning children back at the border. All these unaccompanied minors, thousands of them. Now they're sending some to the Dallas Convention Center. You know, hundreds have been crammed into this tent where some have to sleep on the floor. So the word gets out, the television stories make clear, that the border is open if you are a minor. And so more are coming. And that's where it was a strategic misstep of the highest magnitude for President Biden without having facilities in place to deal with these minors to change the previous position. Again, I'm not defending the Trump policies on this. I mean, I, I think that was a huge humanitarian debacle. But if you're going to, in effect, change the policy by letting kids and teenagers in, you got to have some place to put them, and you can't suddenly be shocked that this is happening. And at one point, Biden said, you know, we're soon migrants will be able to apply in place, meaning they can stay in their home countries and ask the U.S. for asylum. Now, at that point, Stephanopoulos should have jumped in and reminded viewers that that is the old Trump policy, which Biden got rid of, thereby adding to the situation at the border. Now, one of the reasons that uh, the president agreed to do this interview uh, 
is that, you know, it's just been a few days or so since the nearly $2 trillion COVID relief bill passed both houses of Congress with only Democratic votes, and he signed it. So now he's out there. Kamala Harris is going to be interviewed this week. Uh, he went to Pennsylvania yesterday. He's doing photo ops, um, all of which is, and this is smart, this is politics 101, folks. Here's all the money you're getting because of me. Unemployment aid, $1,400 stimulus checks, child tax credit, money's going to schools so your kids can go back to schools, although, as I've said many times, that's ultimately a local school district decision and not a decision for the White House. Um, aid to states and cities, all of that. Biden's got to get out there and sell it. There's an absolute consensus in the Biden White House that Barack Obama did not do that after the stimulus bill passed uh, in 2009. Uh, to some extent, that's true. But what's happening is, you know, it's just a lot less compelling to watch a politician at a factory or some facility, uh, you know, a photo op talking about the great things in the bill. Uh, when you have, it's all very scripted, when you have a real time crisis unfolding along the Texas border. And so that story is overshadowing the COVID bill victory tour. And you can't blame the media for that. One is real, unexpected news with real consequences. Now, I'm not diminishing the importance of this bill. I mean, after all, you know, the economy is still uh, in pretty rough shape because of COVID-19. There's a lot of money in the bill for vaccine program and distribution. Uh, we still have a long way to go on that, even though things are looking a little bit better. So it is news what the president goes out and says. But, you know, to some extent, he's going to go to towns, these towns and cities and states and try to get local coverage. That's what you do. The president comes to town, you get a big headline on the front page. But for the national media, it's going to get a little bit repetitive, whereas the situation uh, at the border is obviously volatile. Let's see. What else came up uh, during the GMA interview? Well, for example... Um, Biden was also asked about the filibuster. And this grew out of the fact that there were no Republicans that voted for the COVID relief package. And again, Biden made any one of these things by themselves would have been big news. So uh, Biden made news by saying that, no, he's not, he didn't say he wanted to get rid of the filibuster, which I don't think he could do anyway, because there isn't, you need, would need all 50 Democrats supporting that. And there are Democrats like Joe Manchin who do not want to do that. It was said Biden tried to stake out kind of a middle ground by saying we should do it the way it was done when I first came to the Senate, which is you had to stand on your feet, you know, and talk for 20 hours, read green eggs and ham, whatever, for the filibuster to take place. What happened was, you know, it was difficult to do. You needed a number of senators who would take each other's places. It could go on all night. And ultimately, how many days could you keep up a filibuster? Uh, you certainly could disrupt the Senate for a day or two, but, you know, if you have to actually filibuster, it's a harder thing to do. So at one point, I don't remember what decade this was, the Senate kind of reached a gentleman's agreement saying, you know what, if you just threaten the filibuster, you don't have to actually stand there and talk for hours and hours. We get it. We'll just say that if there aren't 60 votes for what's called cloture, which is to break the filibuster, used to be 67, used to be even harder, uh, we won't take up the bill. And that basically meant nothing, nothing controversial can pass the Senate without 60 votes. And Biden is saying, well, make it a little more painful. You've got to stand there and talk for hours and hours and hours and hours. A position, I think, that Manchin, who's almost like the deputy president since he's such a key swing vote, has also expressed some sympathy for. So news on the filibuster, news on Cuomo, news at the border. Uh, I think Stephanopoulos did a pretty good job. Now, you've got the time constraints of morning television. So there were lots of things he couldn't follow up on. Uh, so, for example, he did ask a question about 
Will Biden withdraw more troops of the remaining troops from Afghanistan? There are about 3,500 left, as I understand it, according to news reports. He's facing a May 1st deadline on that. And Biden um, kind of said, well, you know, May 1st is going to be tough. So he kind of hinted that he won't be withdrawing the troops at that date. But Biden made clear that he wasn't going to go any further. And so Stephanopoulos think, okay, I'll use the time for something else. Same thing happened when he was asked about this big Democratic voting rights bill, which the Democrats have designed, and which I don't think will ever pass the Senate, but it's certainly going to pass the House. You know, all of these protections allow people to vote, and it's designed to counter what's happening at the state level, where in a number of states controlled by Republicans, um, more restrictions or requirements. The Republicans say they're combating fraud. The Democrats would say there was no widespread fraud in 2020. Um, there was a question about that. Um, Biden didn't really give a very clear answer. And again, then you have the tyranny of the clock. And then, of course, George had to get to the dogs. Like, I don't really have any problem at the end of a substantive interview asking a line of question. You know, is Major out of the doghouse after he bit a member of the security detail? And Biden's answer was very interesting. He says, yes, he's out of the doghouse. I didn't banish him to Delaware. They were, the dogs were scheduled to go back to his house in Delaware anyway because he was going to be out of town and Jill was going to be out of town. And then he said, Major did not bite someone and penetrate the skin. You know, he's a rescue dog and he got startled. Uh, every door you turn to, there's a guy in there in a black jacket, turn a corner, there's two people you don't know and he moves to protect. But he's a sweet dog. 85% of the people there love him. <laughs> What about the other 15%? Are there 15% of the people who work in the White House? Like, get these dogs out of here. I can't stand these dogs. It's like a poll. You did a poll, 85%. That was a nice light moment. Um, so that was the interview. And again, it makes me feel like, you know, Biden knows how to handle the press. Occasionally, perhaps even frequently, he will make gaffes. He will wander off scripts. He will tell a really long story. He will say something that the fact checkers will say is not true. That's the price to, you pay. Biden didn't win the election in, in November because people thought he was a great soundbite artist or a great orator. He won it because he campaigned on healing the country. He said he would beat the virus and restore the economy, and he wasn't Donald Trump. So I, I don't think, you know, he's going to, you know, he'll get the normal political criticism if he screws up in news conferences, but I really think it's in his own interest and in the country's interest and in the media's interest to hold more than once in a blue moon. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. All right. Uh, New York Times has another, I'm going to say devastating story for Andrew Cuomo. It's not a new accuser. It's how the Cuomo administration handled the first accuser. This was Lindsay Boylan, the woman who wrote that detailed account on Medium, uh, didn't talk to any reporters initially, said she'd gotten an unwanted kiss, he'd been harassing her. Uh, we now learn from this Times story that people tied to the governor after she came forward, but before the second accuser, Charlotte Bennett, went public, although Cuomo's office knew there was a second accuser, according to the Times, uh, they tried to discredit her. Uh, they circulated a letter that was in a full attack on Lindsay Boylan's credibility, suggesting her accusation was premeditated and politically motivated. This actually put out personnel complaints filed against her. You would think that those would be confidential and tried to link her to Trump supporters. Uh, the letters concluded, weaponizing a claim of sexual harassment for personal political gain or to achieve notoriety cannot be tolerated. False claims demean the veracity of credible claims. So basically, top Cuomo aides, and this piece says that 
Governor Cuomo himself had knowledge that this letter was being circulated. It was never ultimately released. They were trying to get a lot of women in the administration to sign it to try to discredit Lindsey Boylan. And this is why women who are victims are reluctant to become forward because they know their credibility, their record, if they ever made a mistake at work, will come under attack. Multiple drafts were created, says the Times. Cuomo was involved in creating the letter, one of the people said. Current aides to the governor emailed at least one draft to a group of former advisors. It then circulated to current and former top aides of the governor. It's not clear how many people were asked to sign. But two former officials decided they did not want their names on it. The New York Times says it's reviewed the letter, but it didn't, isn't quoting from it extensively because it doesn't want to uh, denigrate Lindsey Boylan. Uh, it does say that the draft letter accused her of using her claims for political retribution. She's running from Manhattan borough president. Uh, maybe she thought this would be useful in her race. Um, the initial plan for a letter about Ms. Boylan illustrated how the Cuomo administration was prepared to launch a broader effort to damage her credibility. Ms. Boylan was clearly a target. This is what the Times says. This is um, not. Uh, this is a rough story. Because now you're, you're going beyond the climate of t- toxic climate, uh, harassment, bullying, but retaliation. Even though they didn't uh, actually carry it out, they certainly took steps to retaliate against the first accuser. And now uh, Cuomo's support in the Democratic Party is just evaporating. And now he's got President Trump and Nancy Pelosi joining Chuck Schumer and AOC and de Blasio and the others and saying that he must go. The pressure is only getting more intense. Well, I mentioned at the top uh, that there was another president interview, Donald Trump, calling in last night to um, uh, a primetime hour, 7 p.m. Eastern hour, uh, hosted by Maria Bartiromo. The light, I'll just leave with the light item there. This is the equivalent of the dog question. Uh, Maria made this very last question. What was your take on Meghan Markle now saying, meeting with Democratic operatives, she may want to run for president? Well, let me just stop there. Meghan Markle hasn't said anything. This is a rumor. Uh, The London tabloid The Mail on Sunday reported that an unnamed British politician was pushing these rumors uh, that Markle was meeting. We don't even know if that's a fact. But, you know, we know that Trump doesn't like her, so what did he say? Uh, Trump said, because he'd been asked earlier, will you run in 2024? He says, I don't know. We'll take a look after the midterms. If that happened, uh, said Donald Trump, I think I'd have an even stronger feeling toward running. I am not a fan of hers. I think when she talks about the royal family and the queen, I happen to think I know the queen. Um, As you know, I've met with the queen. I think the queen is a tremendous person. I am not a fan of Meghan. Um, Now, he was also asked about the vaccines because, remember, uh, as president, he didn't urge people to get vaccines. He got his own vaccine in private. We found out after he was no longer in the White House. And Trump told Maria, I would... I would. I would recommend it. I would recommend it to a lot of people that don't want to get it. And a lot of those people voted for me, frankly. And I think that's great because maybe the Republicans who in polls are reluctant to get the COVID-19 vaccine will listen to Trump. But then he said, you know, again, we have our freedoms and we have to live by that. And I agree with that also. In other words, he's saying nobody should be forced to get it. Obviously, nobody is going to be forced to get it. But it's a great vaccine. It's a safe vaccine. And it's something that works. Now, uh, I talked yesterday, in fact, I led the podcast with this colossal Washington Post error that had to be corrected yesterday about Donald Trump's phone call to the top Georgia election investigator, a woman named Frances Watson. 
uh, in which the Post reported, based on sources, that he told her to find the fraud and said that uh, you could be a national hero. And the Post said, well, yeah, you know, the audio has come out now, and that's not what he said. He didn't say either of those things. So Maria asked him about it, but Maria uh, got one fact wrong. She said, the Washington Post is being forced to correct what you told the Secretary of State of Georgia. And that's Brad Raffensperger. And the Post also reported that story. But that story was accurate because at the time, the Washington Post had the audio recording. So when he said, I need you to find 11,372, I'm making up the latter part of the number of votes, so that he, not Joe Biden, would carry the electoral votes of the state of Georgia, he was talking to Raffensperger. He did say precisely verbatim those things. This was a separate conversation that the Post botched. And by the way, you know, not letting the Post off the hook, it's a terrible mistake, it's an embarrassing mistake, and you cannot make these mistakes when you're leveling charges of this severity against the president. So what did Trump say last night on Fox? Uh, It's a terrible thing. I will say this. I was very happy. The Washington Post had the courage, or whatever you want to call it, to at least admit their mistake. I think it probably came from the people in Georgia that run the election process. Frankly, it's just absolutely terrible when you look at the things that went on in Georgia. I don't know what the Washington Post may have been told that. They didn't hear it because it didn't exist, but they were told something that didn't exist. It made me sound bad. I think when I heard it, I said, that's ridiculous. I never said that. Uh, that is such a shame. And then Trump went off into the stolen election business again. Such a shame. Uh, he talked about the Georgia special elections, the two seats that the GOP lost, which gave the Democrats control. He said Republicans, frankly, were fighting for $600 in stimulus versus $2,000, which Trump belatedly, after both houses had passed the COVID bill, said he wanted And that was the only ad the Democrats took. That was a disaster. That should not have been doing that. Mitch McConnell made a tremendous mistake. He lost those two seats. I'll just gently interject here that it is a a widespread consensus in American politics, including among many Republicans, that Donald Trump going down there and talking about a stolen election and making it about that um, contributed to the defeat of the two Georgia senators who've now been replaced by Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff and made Chuck Schumer majority leader. Now, it is also true that, um, you know, I think Kelly uh, Loeffler, kind of like the last day of the campaign, said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm for the $14 stimulus check, too. If they had embraced that, I don't know if you can blame that on McConnell, or maybe you can blame that on McConnell for not getting it through the Senate. But remember, McConnell didn't even want any stimulus. 600 was the compromise, and President Trump, didn't come out and push for it the way only a president can until after the votes had been taken. In any event, then the president went into what took place in Georgia, but not only in Georgia, what took place in Pennsylvania, what took place in Detroit, Michigan, and Michigan generally, what took place in Wisconsin, Arizona. It is a disgrace. It's like we're a third world country. So even now, six weeks into the Biden administration, um, Donald Trump is choosing to essentially say, I won that election. There was widespread fraud. Joe Biden shouldn't be president. I would think it would be better for him as, as the leader of the Republican Party to look forward and to not keep going back to that, especially after what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. Trump can obviously do what he wants, say what he wants, I would imagine. Uh, I don't know, did he decide to do this interview last night on Fox, knowing full well that Joe Biden would be on ABC the next morning? Maybe. Is he going to do more interviews now? Uh, you know, remember I told you the political ran a piece saying, you know, uh, Trump is no longer a political Godzilla and he's fading. I said, just give it time. He has a good sense of timing. You know, he could do five interviews next week. 
He could do 10 interviews next week, or he may decide to wait another month and, and, and pick his spots. But Donald Trump retains the ability to make lots of news. Oh, a little bit more before I move on. President, former president also talked about in the Constitution, you have to get the legislators to prove that the vote was accurate. Our Supreme Court and our courts didn't have the courage to overturn elections that should have been overturned because you're talking about decisive amounts, hundreds of thousands and even millions of votes they didn't have in the Constitution, meaning according to constitutional standards, that says state legislatures have to approve changes. They made massive changes early. It's the same stuff you've heard a thousand times, many, many times. Yes, the state legislatures did not overturn those findings because they did not believe there was widespread fraud. The courts and the Supreme Court did not intervene or did not give the rulings that the president and his team wanted because they could not find evidence of widespread fraud. Oh, and one parting shot, Supreme Court should be ashamed of itself. Okay. Um, Politico looks at Biden going out there to sell the coronavirus benefits and says conservatives are starting to ask, did we botch this? The overwhelming sentiment in the Republican Party, says Politico, is that voters will turn on the $1.9 trillion bill over time. But that's baffled, I love that word, that's baffled, some GOP luminaries and Trump world figures who expected Republicans to seize their first opportunity to cast the newly in charge Democrats as out of control. Instead, they fear the party did little to dent Biden's major victory. Um, well, and here's Steve Bannon, quoted by Politico as saying, um, the, the lack of an organized message and aggressive media pushback is shown by the fact that the Democrats have now gone from $2 trillion to $4 trillion in their infrastructure package. That hasn't been officially unveiled. If COVID relief was that easy, says Bannon, why not just run the table? It's a fairly popular bill, says Bannon, that polled well because it's been sold as a COVID relief bill with direct cash payments to Americans. What's not to like? However, that's not what the bill is. That's a huge problem because 2022 has already started and you don't see the fight there. But here's the problem. Uh, so Politico says that the RNC, you know, told this bill a boondoggle, but issued only two statements on the bill, both of which came after the bill had already passed. The problem that Republicans faced is the bill had 70, 75 percent approval. Now, maybe people didn't understand it had all this unrelated spending, but maybe people didn't care. You know, if you're going to get your unemployment aid, if you're going to get a $1,400 stimulus check or more for your family, if you're going to get a $3,000 per child tax credit, if you feel like uh, the, the vaccine programs are going to get money so you can get your shot, if you feel like the schools are going to get money so that your kid can go back to the classroom, then maybe you just don't care that much about the other stuff. And so... I think Republicans knew they were going to lose anyway. They couldn't quite, they, they tried this a little bit, it just didn't get any traction. So they went to culture war issues, as political points out. Um, periodic claims the bill was bloated with progressive add-ons and bailout money for blue states were overshadowed by a more relentless focus on the culture wars du jour. This is the Dr. Seuss argument. They shouldn't have talked about Dr. Seuss. They should have talked about this bill. Um, for whatever combination of reasons, uh, they couldn't stop the bill and they couldn't uh, make much headway. Now, I don't know how much time left, but there's a very important thing that happened yesterday, which was um, the Biden administration declassifying the report on Russian interference in the 2020 election. And uh, Biden was asked about this as well uh, by George Stephanopoulos this morning. Will Vladimir Putin pay a price? And Biden said, yes, he'll pay a price. I'm not yet prepared to say what that price is. Reading from the Times. Uh, Putin, according to this, these are our own intel people, folks, conducted during the Trump administration, declassified now. 
authorize extensive efforts to hurt the candidacy of Joe Biden during the election year, including by mounting covert operations to influence people close to Donald Trump. What did name the people, but it's pretty clear that one of them was Rudy Giuliani, who relentlessly pushed accusations of corruption about Biden and his family about Ukraine, which was, of course, the subject of impeachment number one. Report says, quote, Russian state and proxy actors who all serve the Kremlin's interests work to affect U.S. public perceptions. Um, and there's also a, a kind of a companion report that came out from Justice and Homeland Security that rejected the accusations that are described as false accusations by Trump's allies that Venezuela or other countries had defrauded the U.S. election. You know, the whole, the voting machines were rigged and all of that. So uh, there also was, an, uh, Russia was spreading damaging information about Hunter Biden, says our own intelligence officials, in an attempt to bolster Trump's re-election chances. It also says Iran tried to help Biden by spreading letters that falsely purported to be from the Proud Boys, uh, the conservative group with a kind of a taste for violence. Moscow used Andrei Durkak, pro-Russian member of Ukraine's parliament, to undermine Biden. Of course, Durkak, or Durkach, uh, released leaked phone calls four times, and he is one of those who met with Rudy Giuliani. So on that note, I told you there was a lot of news to cover here. I wish I had another half hour, but you probably have other things to do. So thanks for listening. Uh, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes or on your Amazon device, and we'll see you tomorrow with more BuzzFeed. 